Thanks for tuning in to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. I'm your host, Katie Chesney, and you're listening to Management Decisions, a show where we bring in high-level executives from a wide collection of businesses to discuss what goes on at the top of the food chain. And today we are talking about some mistakes to avoid after an offer has been accepted from a management perspective. And joining us to talk about this is Stephen Irwin, and he is president of New Ventures Planning. So thank you for joining our show today, Stephen. We do appreciate it. Before we start, could you give our listeners a quick overview of your experience in recruiting? Yes. Uh, actually, recruited internal to corporations as a vice president of sales and marketing and as a CEO in a previous life. And then in 2001, started my recruiting firm, uh, New Ventures Planning, and it specializes in the information security world and recruits senior and mid-level technical and sales marketing types. Mm -hmm. Now, as a recruiter, in your experience, how often did you see candidates reversing their decision due to something the hiring manager or the company did? I would say in excess of, uh, you know, 10, 15%, which I think is pretty high. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, is this more common when you're recruiting for like high-level positions or positions that require someone to relocate, or do you see it kind of all across the board? It's really across the board, and relocation issues generally fall out early in the, uh, or come up, and then people drop out early in the conversation, long before an offer would be made. Mm -hmm. Does company size have an impact on that as far as, you know, how easy it is for that person to kind of get in touch with people from the organization? That's a that's a good question, Katie. I think that larger companies have really gone to the applicant tracking systems mm-hmm. to a much larger extent. So it's really become much more impersonal where, say, a technical person wants to get more information about a position. Mm-hmm. Quite frequently, there's there are blocks to him getting to the hiring managers due to the the nature of the system itself. So I would say the less direct contact, the more chance there is for someone to get frustrated and decide to walk away. And speaking of that less direct contact, what are some quick examples of mistakes that hiring managers can make that cause a candidate to reverse that decision after they've accepted? Well, I think that what I tried to get across in my article was the space between the time the offer is made until the start date is critical because managers who do not maintain some contact with the candidate who has accepted, initially accepted the offer, face the candidate having a lot of time to think about the issues that he made without any reinforcement on the part of the company that just uh, made the offer. Mm-hmm. Whenever you go out and make a high purchase in a, in a store and you come home, you give it a second thought. It's called buyer's remorse. Mm-hmm. I think people that make huge career decisions have the same issues in reconsidering what they've done. And when there is no reinforcement, there is no contact during this period of time, except for perhaps if you're in a remote office where you're talking to your colleagues or your former colleagues, there can be considerable pressure by them to keep you in your current position. And uh, they've got two or three weeks to work on you before you were to leave. 
Now let's explore some ways that we can prevent those candidates from kind of withdrawing after they've already accepted that offer. And one of the things that you recommended in your article was that hiring managers assign a buddy to stay in contact with the candidate. So why is this important and what does this contact do for that relationship? I think it is, uh, you know, it's buying mindshare. And I think that when they initially make the decision to go on board, it's because they're really feeling good about this new job potential. They're probably going to get a, a pay increase. There's probably going to be more responsibilities to it that they like. And then it's switched off. Without that buddy to reinforce all of the good things that this person felt mm-hmm. before he decided not to go there, they just sort of fade away and that buyer's remorse sets in. So the buddy is really reinforcing all of the positive things and can talk about shop talk or you know things that are going on that are exciting. And uh, so I think that's very helpful. Do you have any suggestions or tips for a hiring manager on choosing a buddy to assign to someone? If there were a particular person during the interview process that seemed to have really good chemistry with that individual, that person might be a good choice mm-hmm. to be assigned. I also think that there are people uh, for example, if this person is going to be a, a sales engineer in the field, having another sales engineer who can share his interests and stories, answer questions, and I think that would be very helpful to have someone with that, that common peer level. But it's also a good idea, perhaps. I, I know that uh, some people even have their CEOs in the medium-sized companies contact the uh, candidates mm-hmm. once every two weeks, say. Okay. And, you know, they really feel, wow, you know. I'm important, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm important to them. Mm-hmm. I think those are some good tips for making that selection. But another thing that hiring managers can do is, and you mentioned this in your article, is to assign small projects to keep the candidate thinking about the company and the opportunity. So why do you recommend that? And how does this come into, you know, how do you pay them? Or is it just kind of like a, a thing that you do pro bono before you get started? I've seen both, mm-hmm. both things. I've seen uh, the pro bono and I've also seen people saying, well, gee, if you're going to spend 10 hours on this project, you, you ought to be compensated for it. And mm-hmm. of course, they're pretty happy about getting compensation before they get compensation right. in a salary. So I think that they feel, again, that they are getting into the company mindshare again and that there is now some uniting between the old world and the new world coming across as someone who is now part of the new world and thinking about that and can actually start getting involved in some level of a project, no matter how minor it might be, which gives them a greater feeling for the new company. So it's really just kind of changing their um, way of thinking, you know, moving them on from the role that they're leaving and getting them to think about the new role that they're going to be starting when they start with your company. So it's really getting that going ahead of time. So by the time they, you know, come in to start, then they're really just ramped up. Yes. And I think that if you are a an employee exiting one company and if they haven't taken the cardboard box and had you fill it and then saw you out to the door, but if you're sitting there for a few weeks, wrapping things up, there can be a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to be able to think about new projects and new things that you're going to be doing that will support the decisions that you made. 
Now, another tip that you mentioned, and this kind of goes back to the first thing we talked about, was having someone actually meet with a candidate as often as possible before that start date. So is that just really reaffirming that, you know, buying of the mind share and keeping those feel-good feelings going? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that they're in this transition period again. It's that awkward stage between the old and the new. Mm -hmm. If they are a valued employee at the old company, there's going to be a lot of pressure again to to keep them on board. They're going to make a counterproposal. They're going to do everything in their ability to make sure that they aren't going to lose a valuable employee and they're going to have the training bills after they find someone who might take over. Losing that experience is very expensive. So having someone from the new company in the area and make time to sit down, have coffee, answer questions, and just basically share information and reinforce why they made this decision which hopefully they'll feel very comfortable with, mm-hmm. is, uh, is important. Well, there are some factors in here that I think could be a challenge for some hiring managers, especially when trying to meet face-to-face is, you know, obviously everyone has a job. So is this something that you would recommend doing, you know, over lunch, after work, on the weekends? Or are there some kind of like boundaries that shouldn't be crossed when you're thinking to do this? I think done on an opportunity basis. I mean, um, mm-hmm. when both people have time. I mean, some people that give notice actually look forward to doing it because now they can get two weeks, maybe a vacation that they haven't been able to take Mm -hmm. and then wrapping up business in one week. So there's, there's really no issue and their mind is occupied, you know, with their family off at the shore or something. Mm -hmm. But for those that don't, this can be more critical. And if you spent the time invested in the interviewing process and recruiting commissions and all of that, and you know the flights back and forth mm-hmm. to interview this individual over a period of uh, maybe months, then it would seem to be a very minor additional investment to have a cup of coffee or a beer or whatever mm-hmm. makes sense during that short interim time between jobs to just solidify everything and make sure that he's not feeling lonely all of a sudden and like there's nothing between now and the day that you start. Mm-hmm. And even when people start, it can be very awkward because there are some people that show up and people didn't in the office didn't even know they're going to be there. Right. So the communications breakdown can happen in a lot of areas. And it would be at that point when if they had questions in their mind about whether they made the right decision, frequently that's when they, they jump, mm-hmm. when no one even knows they're coming so they don't think that they're important. So if a CEO calls them or their future boss calls them or someone sits down and have, has coffee with them, that really is important. Now, what other mistakes um, do hiring managers make during this time period that we haven't really talked about? And um, is it, you know, maybe not buying into this idea that you need to kind of reinforce those feelings of, you know, feeling good and that this is a good decision? And are, are there really just any other mistakes that we should cover before we wrap up today? Well, I think that there is a transition between HR and the people who are actually going to be responsible for this individual and the handoff. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incumbent upon the people that are going to be working with the individual as opposed to the HR group to make sure that if this is someone that they have extended an offer to, that they don't become short-sighted and think that another department within the company is going to handle it and that department and the company thinks that the manager is going to take care of it 
this is an awkward thing from a legal standpoint as well as an emotional standpoint. HR wants to make sure that everything is done, I's are dotted and T's are crossed, and the hiring manager is really looking forward to getting someone in and on the ground and running and doing the work that uh, hasn't been getting done in the past, whether it's an expansion or it's a replacement of, of current people. So there's a lot of balls in the air at this during this short interim period, and all along, you know, the individual who's going to be coming on board is also getting pressure from his, perhaps from a spouse who's questioning whether this was really a good idea as well. So any reinforcement that they can get is going to, to be helpful. Now, I really appreciate that tip and, you know, about that transition between HR and the, the person managing this new candidate. But unfortunately, we are running out of time today. And I just wanted to give you the floor for these last 30 seconds or so to share any, you know, thoughts or final pieces of advice on this topic with our listeners. I would just say that it is a critical period of time that seems to be forgotten in terms of the lesson plan that companies use to hire people and to bring people on board, the onboarding uh, Mm -hmm. process. And the handoffs in the the larger companies are very rigid, generally uh, speaking, between the functions of uh, the human resources department and the department that this individual is going to. And really, the people in human resources frequently don't understand what this individual will be doing except for a job description, which is generally a boilerplate. And they're boilerplates because of the legal issues as well. So there's no real clear connection between the two departments in many cases. And I just think that it's incumbent upon the hiring managers to make sure that these people don't get away after they've uh, spent all this time. Because this position will then be open, not for three months, but maybe for six or nine months mm-hmm. until they can find someone else to replace it. And there's a loss of business during that time. And with that final piece of advice, we will wrap up today's show. And we have been speaking with Stephen Irwin from New Ventures Planning. And if you would like to find more employment-related shows, you can head over to aljanradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, please send me an email at aljanradio at localjobnetwork.com or send me a tweet at the LJN on Twitter. And once again, I'm your host, Katie Chesney with LJN Radio, and I'll see you next time.